Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Adam Rindy, and welcome to episode three of One Thing. I really appreciate you being here today. One Thing is a short form health podcast that is based on the premise that action takes place with information and inspiration. Each week, we interview thought leaders in the fields of health, medicine, and science, and we discuss the latest information and drill it down into precise and digestible bites so that you can understand it, gain information, and take inform- and take the inspiration to make the changes necessary in your own lives and the lives of your patients. In this episode, we explore the concept of post-meal glucose response. So to set the stage here, I'm going to give you some background on this concept and and on the episode. What the best diet is for us remains probably the billion dollar question in health, nutrition, and medicine. The winner of this question will probably be a diet that's individualized, prevents the most disease, makes us feel great, and is intuitive and easy to follow. Sounds like lofty expectations to me, but that seems to be a quest that we're getting closer and closer to answering. There seems to be approach in this field that's caught the attention of patients and providers, and that's looking at individualized post-meal glucose response as a guide to one's individualized dietary recommendations. And guess what? The researchers are saying that the post-meal glucose response is largely dependent on what kinds of bacteria are growing in our gut. Listen in on today's episode as we explore the individualized diet and post-meal glucose response. I'm going to give you some background information on today's episode so that you can follow along. More detailed information about this topic will be found on my website at soundintegrative.com backslash episode three. So post-meal glucose response is defined classically as the rise in blood glucose measured in nanograms per deciliter after the consumption of carbohydrate. This measurement is usually tracked in segments of two hours post-glucose consumption. Now, with the advent of continuous glucose monitoring and self-monitoring, post-glucose response also can be done at five-minute increments at this point in technology, meaning within five minutes after consuming a meal, we can see how that consumption is impacting our glucose instantaneously. As this technology comes more to the forefront, new parameters as to what is a healthy post-meal glucose response are likely to be developed. Why does this matter? As a biomarker, post-meal glucose response, which we'll call PMGR, reflects one's ability to regulate glucose. Glucose regulation means less inflammation in the body, which means less risk for heart disease, diabetes, kidney disease, eye disease, obesity, you get the picture, it's pretty important. Typically, in a non-diabetic 
of fasting glucose will range between 70 nanograms per deciliter to 99 nanograms per deciliter. And after eating a carbohydrate-containing meal, the blood glucose will rise between 100 nanograms per deciliter to 140 nanograms per deciliter within two hours. This can be influenced by the protein and fat content in the food source. However, it's largely driven by the carbohydrate intake. Until researchers started looking at the gut microbiome as a factor in this scenario, the large dietary agencies that make recommendations for diabetics would look at the glucose content of foods and make predictions to how these foods would spike blood sugar. They came up with a list called the glycemic index of foods. And this list is distributed to people with glucose regulation issues to follow as a parameters to, to look at foods to avoid and foods to include that will help regulate their blood sugar. Later, this evolved to a term called glycemic load, which looks at how a meal combined would potentially influence one's glucose response. Now a group out of the Weizmann Institute developed a test and an algorithm of PMGR response based on the DNA sequencing of bugs that are growing in human guts. By monitoring post-meal glucose response in human subjects, they were able to predict that one's own signature gut microbiome can largely influence one's individualized glucose response to food. In today's episode, we unpack this approach. Let me introduce you to our guest. Richard Sprague lives and works in the Puget Sound region. He is most recently involved with the artificial intelligence area in the health technology space. He has a long career in the, as a software executive. He's very involved in stool microbiome testing. And he's done over 300 samples on himself. That's uh, one of the ways I met Richard is I had heard about him and reached out to him to discuss some of his impressions of the gut microbiome testing. And we sat down several years back and discussed some of the experiences I was having clinically with patients with IBS and Parkinson's disease. And we were trying to make sense of all this new stool microbiome data. And it was very helpful in helping me gain traction in this region. Now, we picked up a conversation recently talking about post-meal glucose response based on the stool microbiome data and his experience with testing and tracking his post-meal glucose response. So tune in. This is a very interesting and fun episode for me. I hope you enjoy it. And show notes will again be on soundintegrative.com in the podcast section. And thank you again for tuning in. So welcome to the show, Richard. It's good to sit down with you and talk. Great to talk to you as well. Thank you. I thought we'd jump right in and talk about the topic of the day, which we're talking mainly about your experience with testing yourself a number of times. On, and most recently, you've been diving into this post-glycemic meal response focus. And why don't we just start off and 
share what got you interested in this particular biomarker? Well, so I'm a, um, you know, I'm a longtime software engineer and, um, you know, an entrepreneur working in a lot of high-tech type companies. And uh, so naturally, I'm kind of drawn to metrics that you can use to measure your body. And so over the years, I've tested everything from, you know, Fitbits to different ways of measuring sleep and lots and lots of different things. And uh, of course, I was involved in the microbiome for a long time and doing a lot of microbiome testing. I've always been looking for things that are actionable. And that's kind of the key thing is that you could wear a Fitbit all day. And the only actionable thing you might find out is that, well, I need to walk more, or get more exercise. More. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found with doing continuous glucose monitoring is that it gives you something actionable like immediately because you can immediately look at what you just ate and see how it affected your glucose response. And that that's kind of the thing that really draw you know, draw me into this and made me very excited about the, you know, the potential of technology. Tested yourself in various capacities. Um, as far as stool microbiome testing, can you just give us a little bit of sense of where you started with that and where you are today? Well, okay. So the, um, I started long ago with um, doing genetic testing. And one of my disappointments with genetic testing was that you find out something about yourself, like your eye color or your, um, you know, um, in my case, it turns out that I am, uh, I have a gene that makes me predisposed to be addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's great. What am I going to do with this information? It's all information my mother already told me. My ancestry, everything. Mm-hmm. My mother can already tell me that. The um, And it's it's one time only. You learn about your genetics and that's it. Well, with the microbiome, um, your microbiome changes regularly and um, and you can do something about it. You can actually change your microbiome. So this is this got me very interested in about starting about five years ago. Um, and working with a, was a San Francisco lab called Ubiome that um, I started using their tests, under $100 tests, where I can test my microbiome. Um, in my case, I did it daily for, you know, for a couple of years. <laughs> and then I wrote a lot of software that lets me do analysis on it. And, you know, just found a lot of very interesting things about, um, about how my microbiome changes based on my diet and based on activities. Um, like I, I was on a business trip once to China and I saw different kinds of microbes crawl in as I was there, you know, lots of those sorts of things. And, um, but of course, you know, at the end of the day, you really care about actionability. So I'm looking for something that really um, can, that's something that's not obvious, something that my mother might not have told me or might not have thought to tell me, but that has a, a real impact on my life. And along the way, um, I discovered um, there was this um, uh, group uh, at the Weizmann Institute in Israel that had done a fascinating study. I think you know about this one. That is um, where they found out that people are uh, people respond differently to different kinds of food uh, depending on what kind of gut microbiome they've got. And so um, this has been commercialized as a test from a company called Day Two. And so I tested myself with Day Two, and it gave me this whole list of things, many of which are non-intuitive about things that I should eat or should not eat. And the background of the test is it's based on uh, your glucose response, and I wanted to know more directly what my glucose response was. And so one of the things that um, the, the uh, authors of one of the books about this um, claimed is that if you get a continuous glucose monitor, you'd be able to see uh, exactly you know, from minute to minute how your, um, how your glucose is changing. And so, and so I tried that. And um, looking at the recommendations based on my microbiome, I found to my surprise, you know, to my you know, happiness, that it essentially agreed in a lot of cases. That's excellent. So, you know, the big thing that I hear a lot about this test is, you know, someone will have made a wholesale change on their diet, say if they have their risk for type 2 diabetes or they're have developing metabolic syndrome and they'll take out and go on like a low carbohydrate diet. But what this particular technology allows you to do is say, well, it doesn't have to be pan low carb 
it could be some of the carbohydrates that are identified. So in your case, I want to know, and I'm sure everybody wants to know, can you eat bread? <laughs> so, um, uh, yes, I can eat bread. Um, uh, a more interesting example is oatmeal, which is something that I had been told is healthy <laughs> and I've been eating for a long time for breakfast. I discovered that oatmeal um, spikes my glucose. Mm. Now, that actually was one of the things that was predicted by the day two test. Uh, but uh, along the way, I also discovered that um, so eating oatmeal with water causes a big uh, glucose um, spike. But if I add some kind of fat to the oatmeal, it completely changes it. And so that's an example of something where now I discovered that if I add a little bit of butter to my oatmeal in the morning, I'm doing the same thing that I enjoy all the time, but I've made a slight tweak to it that suddenly makes it much better in terms of glucose response. So that was that's the kind of actionable thing that you want to find. Yeah. It's not necessarily something that says make a wholesale change to your diet, completely change everything you've always done. Right. But you want something that's going to be doable and yeah. actionable. And, um, and in this case, you know, I don't mind adding a little butter to my oatmeal. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that the group out of the Weizmann Institute is stating is that the only way to actually change this is to actually move to another country, yeah. um, get pregnant or go on antibiotics. Yeah. So meaning the only way to modify the results that you got back on day two. Mm-hmm. So has that been your experience? Or is that... um, so I, I generally agree with that. That's right. Um, for example, I tested my microbiome uh, after doing um, a, a, a thorough colon um, cleanse, you know, after um, uh, as part of a colonoscopy. And um, and then I tried carefully reseeding myself after completely wiping out all of the bacteria in my gut. And I found almost no difference before and after, you know, within like two weeks. So within a week or two after having done this colon cleanse, my, my gut was right back to what it was before. Mm-hmm. And that was despite trying to eat different kinds of food. So mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to modify your microbiome. Um, like the Weizmann guys and you know many others have pointed out that um, if you move to a foreign country and like radically change your environment, that will do it, that, that can make a difference. That's been shown and that. That's also true in my case. Um, I mentioned my trip to China, but, uh, Otherwise, uh, if you really want to make a major change, um, you would have to make a significant change in your diet and keep it going long term. And I don't know how long term is um, when I've tested it. So, for example, I've gone on a, like a, um, a high, um, high fat, low carb diet for a two week period to see how it changed my brain. It, it made a difference, um, like maybe a 20 percent change, that kind of thing. Um, but then as soon as I went back to my old diet, just went right back. So a lot of these things, when people are talking about doing a permanent change, or I'm sorry, if, if you want to do a major change, you kind of have to make it permanent. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that's hard to do. Okay. Okay. So um, with a continuous glucose monitoring, do you, can you sense within yourself when you're going higher with a post? Yeah. So um, what happens? In so this is the other thing that um, I learned about um, when doing continuous glucose monitoring is that um, I have, because of that instant feedback that I get by looking at seeing what my glucose levels are right now, I'm now able to tell, I kind of can feel what it feels like to have a glucose spike or to be low on glucose. And that was something that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of in the past. Right. Now yeah. I, I realize that, um, people who have diabetes are probably very sensitive to this already, but it was something that I, it was new to me. And just that new appreciation, um, has made it a lot easier for me to figure out what to eat and how much to eat. Um, um, so that was really revealing. Why is this important to, you know, obviously it's if someone has type 2 diabetes or is about to enter into type 2 diabetes, um, they're on, on the verge of it, I'm sending them off to get this test in my practice. I, I'm ordering it. 
um, for patients, the type, the day two testing. But in other populations, like people who don't seem to have the, they're on the verge or they're not having any problems with glucose levels or their hemoglobin A1C levels are stable. Why should they care about this approach to health? Well, so um, uh, again, if you're already healthy, uh, then your goals are a little different than if you're somebody who's got prediabetes or something else. And in my case, for example, I'm healthy, but you know, I want to be healthier. I want to be more active. I want to have better sleep. I want to just you know, feel more energy throughout the day. And one of the things that um, I believe is true about glucose, I mean, glucose is correlated with the amount of energy that you have. Um, it's correlated, obviously, with, um, you know, with uh, weight. So if you care about maintaining a healthy weight, uh, just knowing the kinds of foods that cause your glucose to go up or down um, is just a good thing to know. Um, one of the other things that I've, I guess I've concluded on this is that I don't think it's necessary to wear a glucose monitor forever, <laughs> like the rest of your life. Um, unlike, say, a Fitbit or something where you're... Um, or uh, like an Apple Watch or something where you're, uh, you might want to just kind of track your exercise just you know over time. Um, I found that having a glucose monitor just for a couple of weeks, um, maybe do it a couple of weeks every year, um, just to get kind of a little bit of first of all a baseline when you start, and then also just an, just a double check to make sure that things are, your body is still responding the same kind of way. I think that's super useful for people. Highly recommended. Can you take us through the process of what it's like to wear one, how you apply it, and just the different supplies yeah. that are involved? Yeah, so um, I found it is super easy. Um, in the United States, you need a doctor's prescription, um, uh, but because it's one of these things that's very, it's not, it's not very invasive. It's it's pretty easy to get a doctor to prescribe it. Uh, it cost me about seventy five bucks out of pocket for a month supply of the sensors, and the sensors are real simple to apply. It's um, it come, it's like about the size of a quarter. Um, you you stick it under your arm um, in the kind of the fleshy part of the back part of um, uh, like near near your elbow. Um, and there's a, there's a special kind of applicator. You just press on it. Uh, there's no needle, no blood. Um, it just feels like kind of like a hard press on your skin. And it sticks this little thing they call filament um, uh, into your skin in such a way so that it can detect the levels of glucose that are in what's called the interstitial fluid. It's not your blood. It's just the, the liquid that's under your skin. <laughs> and, um, and that's it. And there's an adhesive on there, um, which will keep it going through, you take a shower, you can go swimming, um, and then it lasts for about two weeks. Um, I have a, I'm using an iPhone to see the results, so I just spray my iPhone onto the, um, onto my, you know, I, it looks like I'm applying underarm deodorant. I just like put it on my underarm there. It tells me my glucose levels there. And um, at the end of the week, or at the, at the end, it's, it's a two-week thing, and so at the end of the two weeks, um, you just peel it off, and there you go. It's really simple. And obviously, there's some other factors that people need to, to learn about besides you know, just um, what we eat that can affect our blood glucose levels, you know, stress, illness. Yep, exercise, to travel, mm -hmm. yep. um, changing changing time zones. Yeah. Um, exercise, yeah. Yep. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors to think about, but this is was a big mystery, I think, for uh, until until this research started to, to develop. So it's answered a lot of questions that were puzzling. Yeah, and, and, and it's um, it really is amazing how um, getting that instant feedback can change your, you know uh, change the way you think about it. Um, one of my friends uh, who is using a, a glucose monitor as well pointed out that um, he used to go to this restaurant um, every week um, and, uh, and you know he'd eat the same thing there a burrito or whatever and he was looking at his glucose response and noticed it goes up fine 
Uh, but one day he was looking back at his old results and he looked at and it showed that it went up and then it went down and it didn't go up nearly as much as it normally is. And it turned out that that was the day where he couldn't find a parking place. And so after he'd eaten his meal, he was walking for an extra 15 minutes longer than he normally did. Mm -hmm. And that's a classic example of the kind of tiny change you can make to your lifestyle that will make a you know significant difference in your in your glucose response. And those are the things I love to see. Yeah, that's great. So um, share with us a little bit about what you're working on now and um, give us some information about how to to follow you and follow the work you're doing. Well, I'm doing a bunch of things. Um, I'm still very interested in the microbiome. Uh, um, as you know, I've, I've accumulated now at this point over 600 um, data points of sampling my, my microbiome, and I'm trying to um, do the analysis on those things. Um, I'm working on building a website uh, at personalscience.com. So people who'd like to know more, welcome to go to personalscience.com, where I've written up um, like pretty much all of the conclusions that I've come to so far in my microbiome testing. Um, and I encourage people to, um, to contact me uh, with their own microbiome results or their CGM results. I love knowing more about what people are up to with um, the continuous glucose monitoring. And um, um, I'm also working with some people uh, who do a lot of work with artificial intelligence. So we're hoping to gather enough data from a lot of people like me and you know normal people, uh, so that we can do some more analysis on it and uh, and and hopefully find something that's interesting and actionable for other people. Helpful. Thank you for walking through us, walking us through your process and giving us a little education on continuous glucose monitoring and microbiome and. And how we can maybe develop more of a personalized diet. Um, one, I just wanted one more commentary. Um, there was a piece that just came out in the New York Times recently. Um, we were gonna just. I wanted to hear your thoughts about um, sort of the AI approach to uh, nutrition. And uh, this just came out maybe a week or two ago. I think. Um, can you just share a little bit about your thoughts? Oh about yeah. That? Um, so that's actually the same technology behind day two. So um, that was an article by um, Eric Topol. Uh, very famous um, personalized medicine um, physician, and um, he was he had access to a very um, custom version of the same technology that's behind the day two product, where uh, they did a very thorough look at his microbiome and a thorough look at his continuous glucose monitoring, and then they used a computer algorithm to go try to find patterns in it. And one of the patterns they found was um, there's a direct link between the types of microbes that you have and the and the glucose response. So. The type of microbes he has are different than mine, different than yours, and the microbes are what's really eating your food for you in a lot of cases. And so if you have, um, in his case, I think he had um, unusually high, I think it was bacteroidetes or something, where um, um, that was uh, metabolizing some of his food in a way that would be different than the way it gets metabolized in me or you. And um, uh, it's a very complicated thing to do these days. Um, it still requires, you know, very expensive testing and some pretty laborious um, look at, um, you know, like some results from a continuous glucose monitor. Um, but that's the type of technology that's just going to keep getting better and better. And I'm confident that within a few years, that's the sort of thing that we're all going to be able to do just routinely. Yeah. So headed towards personalized diets. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for being on today. We will be posting on the transcript of this episode and on our website and links to how to follow Richard and some of the work he's doing. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for Closing Thoughts with Dr. Adam Rindy. Hi, this is Dr. Adam Rindy, and these are some closing remarks from today's episode. The topic of today's episode was prompted by a research article that appeared in the 2015 issue, volume 
163, 5th edition of Cell. The article was titled, Personalized Nutrition by Prediction of Glycemic Response. The authors were out of the Weissman Institute in Israel. The main authors were Weinberger, Rhine, Pevsner, Fischner. And later, two of the researchers from this group wrote a book called The Personalized Diet. These authors were Iran Elenov and Iran Segal. These two pieces really influenced this topic, and a lot of the research that's coming out in this area is being promoted by the group at the Weissman Institute. Well, I'm really excited about this work. I do think that my own take is slightly different than the promoters of this approach. I am holding out that we do have the option to change our microbiota through food adaptations and supplementary prebiotic and probiotics and nutrient microtherapies. I also believe that um, we are learning more and more daily about which foods may modulate the microbiome. And in my practice, I test for a condition called dysbiosis, which is basically a pathogenic microbe situation in the gut where some pathogenic microbes may be overtaking the population of healthy bacteria and reducing their function. So in my practice, we do do a lot of restoration of dysbiosis, and perhaps this restoration could help with restoring better glucose regulation in some of these patients. A lot of this work hasn't gone into the dysbiosis connection in these patients, and I think that is something that's being overlooked. I'm also quite aware of the impact of stress and sleep disorders on post-meal glucose response. So these are something to really factor in when we're thinking about this approach. So while I'm hopeful that this is going to help us um, to define a good roadmap for glucose regulation, I'm also aware there's more to the picture. What really excites me about this test is it's a launching point for pre-diabetics and diabetics who are struggling with managing their diabetes to give them potentially a more easy roadmap to follow than sort of long lists or generalized recommendations. And also for people who are generally trying to feel well um, and lose weight, but might not be diabetic or might not have prediabetes, this may be some, another approach to think about that helps them get on right the right track. And when learning what spikes your glucose after a meal may be a good biomarker to track for just general health purposes. I'm very excited about continuous glucose monitoring for this purpose as well as a tool to help us with general health and also for tracking minute by minute diabetes management, glucose management. I look forward to continuing to apply this knowledge to my practice and thank you for tuning in. Um, this, If you'd like to help us, we'd like you to share this episode wildly if you think it would help other people. We want to really get this information out there and get that in the hands of people who can use it. So if you could share, that'd be great. Also, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you get updates on the episodes as they come out. Thank you for tuning in to One Thing. We'll see you next time.